Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me, on the mic, hosting an episode where I share recent reflection or story from my own life, as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. So happy to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. I guess first question is like, who are you? And why are you the expert on DEI? Tell me about you. Hi, everyone. My name is Mariah Driver. Mariah, like Mariah Carey, not Maria. And <laughs> classic mix-up, apparently. I am a diversity, equity, and inclusion leader. I first started as an organizational inclusion leader at Webflow. Is anyone here familiar with Webflow? Woo, we got a Webflow. You know, you know Webflow, visual development platform. And I am now doing product equity at Adobe. I have formal training in behavioral and organizational psychology, as well as race and ethnic studies, both in the U.S. and in Cape Town in South Africa. Has anyone been to Cape Town in South Africa? Cool. Who wants to go to Cape Town? Yeah. Beautiful, worth the 19-hour flight. 10 out of 10 recommend. So yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. Erica introduced me as an expert. I am not an expert. I don't believe anyone is. If anyone tells you they're an expert in DEI, they are either delusional or lying. And what I am is someone who is really committed to figuring out how we can make technology and organizations and products an enabler for people and for inclusion and not a barrier to that. And so yeah, that's kind of, that's my, my initial spiel. Amazing. So DEI, I think, can be a bit nebulous, diversity, equity, and inclusion. What does DEI mean to you? And what does it mean in the tech landscape? So a lot of people here are operators. A lot of people here are founders, some investors. What really is DEI and what does it mean for people in tech? Surprisingly, despite the fact that DEI has been an acronym that's been floating out in the interwebs for about two years, I don't think it's something that people can easily define. And for me, it's important to clarify that diversity, equity, and inclusion is not a finish line. It's not like I go into an organization and we do some work for six months and we check some boxes and they're like, done the DEI thing, move on to the next client. It's an ongoing practice. It is something that I believe should and wouldn't have to be a job title if our systems were not built to be inequitable in the first place and have kind of a lack of inclusion in the first place. So I think a lot of people look at DEI as something that is additive. It's like a nice to have. Really, it's corrective. It's acknowledging the fact that most of the businesses we've built, most of the products we've built, most of the organizations we've built because of the systems that we've been building them within are actually designed to make it harder for people who don't look a certain way, who don't come from a certain background, who don't have a certain identity to succeed and to contribute and to benefit from the tools that we're selling them and the products we're selling them. So diversity, I think more obviously is just the presence. So who is represented? And that's something that's a little bit more tangible. And unfortunately, I think also something that people focus a little bit too much on. I think that it's really important to have diversity. I think that a lot of organizations go wrong when they 
focus so much on diversity and getting people in the door, and then they don't focus at all on what happens to those people once they're in the door. If you've been the only at a on a team or at a company, it's really hard to enter a workplace and have someone be like, great, you're here. We're going to take a picture to put you on our landing page. So more of you come, have a great time. And you're realizing that there's a whole set of rules to this game that you don't understand. Inclusion is then where you kind of figure out how can we make this game work so that these people can succeed here and they can contribute here. And I think that's also really important because as a business, you want to hire people and you want to have them add value. And if you are not focusing on how you can unleash their potential, which is really what I believe inclusive organizations do, you're losing that opportunity and you're probably losing that talent eventually too, which is also a very expensive thing logistically, and we can get to the business case later if we need to. And then equity, I think, is a more nebulous term. And now I have a title of a product equity, a senior manager of product equity at Adobe. And it's really interesting because when I ask people what they think of when they think of equity, they've heard of it a million times and have no idea how to define it. And I think about equity as an outcome. So equity is measurable. We can say, if we launch this product and look at how our users are using this product and who's benefiting from this product, equity would be there is a diverse slate of folks who are benefiting the same way, regardless of where they come from and where they come into that ecosystem from. And so I think equity is something that's really important to look at, not only from a business standpoint or a product standpoint or a culture standpoint, but also is a really good lever to see is what you're doing working. So if you're investing in a bunch of ERGs, which are employee resource groups, which I also have thoughts on, we can get to that later. Are they actually creating more opportunities for folks in your culture? Are you retaining talent at higher rates or are you just losing people because they come in, they're pushed into this ERG with the lack of resourcing and then they leave because they become disillusioned. So it's, they're all pieces to a puzzle. I don't think you can have one without the other, but I think that that equity piece is something that I know no company has nailed. And so I am one of the delusional folks who's trying to figure out how to do that. (laughs) Thank you for that. That's really interesting to hear. And I appreciate you walking us through what they each mean. I think one thing that hopefully a lot of people in this room are interested in, I'm interested in, is the business case. And we hear this over and over and over again about how the returns are better when you have diverse teams. The returns are better when you invest in diverse founders. And so, you know, I think there is data to back it up, but we're not seeing any follow through. And so my question for you is like, what is the honest business case? And then how do we get buy-in from people when we do surveys and like we do show performance is better, yet there is still pushback? How do you rationalize with that? If you prove the data, you say there's a business case, what are you supposed to do then? The short answer would probably be leave. Um, (laughs) Don't waste your time. But I do believe, so I think what I'll say is my feeling on the business case is that people are sold, and especially founders and leaders are sold on this idea that you invest in DEI and immediately more profits, greater returns, greater employee satisfaction, greater customer satisfaction, all of these things, which I believe are true in theory. But I also believe that we haven't clearly defined, A, what does it mean to actually invest in DEI? Like hiring a DEI consultant and then expecting a return immediately within three months is just unrealistic. But also that it's going to take time to get those returns. So I think that the issue is that we've there's the data to back up that like higher performing teams tend to be the teams that are more diverse. They tend to be the teams that are more inclusive. Companies who retain talent are the ones who are creating cultures that allow everyone to thrive and contribute. So those are all facts. I think that to your question of if you are a 20-something, if you're an entry-level person, if you're even a middle manager and you're making the case for DEI and a greater investment in your organization, 
I think it's great to advocate. I think it's great to make the case for why this, why you believe uniquely this will benefit your company and your organization. And I will also say that's really important is that every organization is different and the most effective forms of advocacy are ones that are really tied to like, what is our business doing? And so for Webflow, we were on a mission to democratize access to the web. And so how can we say that we're democratizing access to the web if we're not investing in making sure that our products are built for a diverse slate of folks from all over the world? We can't say we're democratizing access to the web if we're not doing that. Making the case for what you're saying you're doing as a business, is that aligning with kind of the imperatives behind DEI? And, you know, if leaders are willing to listen to you, I think it's a great thing to like, you know, say that you personally care about it too, like your talent. 20-somethings, companies want us to work for them. So you have a lot of power in just saying, like, this is really important to me as an employee, and it's really important to me to work at a company that values this and invests in this, and here's what that might look like. And giving them a, here's what I would say this would look like, an investment would look like, so they actually have a next step to take. And then I will also be honest in saying that I've seen too many people, especially people who belong to marginalized groups themselves, burn themselves out because leaders are saying that they're willing to listen, that they're willing to explore, they're willing to have conversations, and they're like asking for slide decks about the business case. And the truth is that if a leader doesn't care about it and they don't want to invest in it, that's perfectly fine for them. And that might be the case. And I think if you ask leaders, they're especially like white male leaders, their honest opinions on it, they would probably rather not focus on DEI. And the reason is that it actually will not benefit them immediately. It won't be comfortable and it won't be easy. So anyone who tells you that doing DEI work is going to make you feel good, you're going to be like, yes, I like am the best leader ever. No, it's not going to make you feel good. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be quick. You're going to have no idea what the fuck you're doing. Sorry, am I allowed to know what that beep you're doing? Um, (laughs) And it's going to be hard. And it's like, you're going to have to kind of wade through those waters. I really believe that that makes you a better leader and it earns you a lot of trust and recognition. But it's not going to feel good. And so I will say that if you are an organization where you have made the case, the personal case, the case for why you believe that this work is actually really aligned and can enable your businesses, your you know organization's top line and your mission, and leaders are still asking you to prove that it's going to be worth it, or they're giving you pushback, I've seen 90% of times that their opinion isn't changing. And so it's important for you to decide whether it's okay for you to work at that organization and you're willing to just like rise in the ranks until you get to a point where you're in a position of leadership and you can make that call, which I think is a great thing. Or if you're going to go, if you're going to walk and you're going to go somewhere else and you're going to make it known that the reason you're leaving is because they're not investing. And I've seen that companies have invested more often than not because shit falls apart. People start leaving People start talking about their experience and all of a sudden that's when as a DEI consultant, you get a bunch of inquiries and you look on like what's a recent article that was written about them and you're like, oh, a Medium post about a, you know, really upset black person who worked at the company and experienced microaggressions and was fired for it. So that's typically what it takes. And so I will say like, don't burn yourself out. Realize that there are plenty of companies and leaders out there who really do want talent, who cares, and is going to help them get there. But just recognize that you also have a lot of influence and sway yourself as an employee. Yeah, it's good to hear, especially from you, because you used to give people a lot of that influence and power. A lot of people in here, I feel like are founders, or they have side hustles, and they're entrepreneurial on their own. What is your advice for someone who is maybe, let's say, like really resource strapped, that is starting a business, they maybe have five employees, they've tried to do their best in terms of like hiring a diverse group of their first five, but they want to think more thoughtfully about as they scale their team, as they build culture, 
What do equity and inclusion look like outside of just the diversity of early hires? What is your advice for someone? Because I think that might be a lot of people in this room. When they're starting something, what's the mindset you hope they have? And I think a lot of people assume that the right time to invest is when you have a lot of resources, when you have a big team. The reality is that's a really hard time to start doing the work because then you have to undo however long you've been building systems and processes and your team. And it's a lot of corrective work. And I started doing this work at Webflow when I was, you know, when we were 50 employees. And I think now there's 600 to 700 employees. And the reason why it was so effective was because I started doing the work with our CEO at a time where we didn't have a hiring process. So I didn't have to go into the hiring process and say, what do we need to change about our hiring process to make it more inclusive? We just built in inclusive language guidelines for job descriptions from the jump. So no one was able to say like, oh, this wasn't how we used to do it. It's getting harder. It was like, no, this is how we're doing it now. We're a big company, capital B, capital C, and a real business, capital R, capital B. And I think that as a founder, as a small team, approaching it as an innovation problem, approaching it from the mindset of here is where we are. We recognize we're working in a system where the easiest path for us, if we like, if we don't do anything, if we don't intervene, if we don't make any efforts, that we're just going to be part of the status quo. And then we're going to get to hundred employees and it's going to be harder for us to change that. And we don't need a ton of money to do this. What we need is just the willingness of a few people to say, Let's look at what we're doing as a business. Let's look at what we're starting as a team. How can we make this 5% more inclusive? Even if that just means spending one extra day as a team, and I've seen this work of teams of five to say, whenever we're hiring for a new role, Friday afternoons, we dedicate three hours for all of us to strictly source underrepresented talent, whatever that looks like, figuring it out together for three hours on a Friday afternoon. And that team doubled the number of Black employees within six months. Just doing small things is a lot more sustainable, first of all. It's a lot easier as an early founder, as an early business. And it's also something that I think if you can bake that into your operational design and your org design from the start, it carries on from there. So if you build that system, the system starts producing better outcomes. And so I think as a founder, I would just say, you know, approaching it with this mindset of curiosity about like, if we were to do something, if we were to take something we're already doing, not creating something new, not investing in something new, not hiring someone new. And we were just to make it 5% more inclusive or 5% more equitable as just a hypothesis. What could we do realistically? And it's really important to be realistic because I think it's like people are afraid to say what they can't, what they don't think they can do when it comes to DEI and they end up not doing anything. But I think that's really important even at Adobe where, you know, we're approaching this product equity project and it's going to be huge. And people are like, cool, when are we starting? And we're like, no, we need six months to just scope out what the process is going to look like for even how are we assessing whether a product is equitable? How are we defining that? How are we making sure we're iterating on it? Where do we start? And making sure that we're building processes that we can see working for 20 years and not just a process that we're like, we have 10 people who are really committed to DEI and ready to go. And it's like those 10 people could leave the company and your entire strategy falls apart. So I think that it's really important to, A, not overthink it. Like, don't take it too seriously. No one's figured this out. There are no right answers. And I think that the best way to approach it is just with the mindset of like, we have a problem. We are problem solvers. We are agile. We are creative thinkers. And we are innovative. And take all those buzzwords and like, put yourself into a box and just like, tackle it for a few hours a week. And I think that 
you'll really be surprised at what you can figure out and what you're already doing. You don't have to go create new shit. And you can if you want, but uh, I don't think anyone wants to do that. (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about your move to Adobe, which I think when we talked last, I was like, that's really interesting. She went from being head of DEI at Webflow to working in product. And you had some really interesting comments on that about how you wanted to build the products of the future with these DEI goggles on, almost like how anyone in any part of a company can do. You don't have to just be in the DEI world. You don't just have to be in an impact role. A lot of the times people that care like you care and like I care, you're gravitating towards, I want to be head of DEI. I want to work on the CSR department of a company. And it's like, that's amazing if you really want to do that and be full-time on what is the impact we're creating. But you can also be an amazing product manager. You can also be an amazing venture capitalist. You can also be an amazing VP of engineering and have DEI goggles on, which is what we talked about. Like you don't have to be devoting your whole life to this role like you've done with head of DEI. You're like, I want to now build product in a very inclusive, you know, DEI friendly way. And so I think that approach was super refreshing for me. And I think for a lot of people that are in tech, it's great to know that they can make impact and like look at things through that lens. Can you talk to me a little bit about like why you made that transition and like what you're excited about doing product in with like those DEI goggles? So I think that what I found when I was working at Webflow is that the DEI space now has a lot of really talented leaders and the DEI space is typically limited to HR. So it like pretty much lives within the walls of the organization. And working at Webflow, one thing I noticed was a lot of the talent that was even like, by the time people got to the door to work for Webflow, there were already huge disparities in what we were even working with. So by that point, it was like, okay, we can't go out and like teach someone how to code or teach someone how to be a designer and get them into our pipeline. Like we're kind of working with whoever already has this skill set, which is already 5% of the population, if not less. And there's a lot of really, really talented people doing the organizational work of equity and inclusion. I think what I found really interesting was that a lot of the folks, even at Webflow, who were applying were Webflow users themselves. They were people who were like, I wouldn't have had a career as a designer if it weren't for this product allowing me to build a website without having to know how to code. I was able to start an agency just knowing how to use Webflow. And so what I was realizing was if we can get like one of the ways to solve this problem of who has access to opportunity, you know, as boring as it is, like economic opportunity is a huge thing. I mean, like the main cause of disparities in most countries around the world is just purely economic. It's that people don't have money and they can't go to colleges and they can't, you know, get training and they can't even like, you know, go to a good pre-K. And so wondering like, how do we give people, you know, how do we even level the playing field before people get to the door, which by that point, the playing field's already fucked. Like we don't have, you know, we don't have much to work with there. I mean, we can work with what we can, but, and people are, and it's important, but there's a lot of work to be done in creating opportunities and leveling the playing field before folks get to tech, before folks get to these opportunities and the jobs we're working within. And so Webflow, one of the things we started doing was thinking about like, how can we make Webflow, a tool that someone who's in high school and, you know, in the inner city who never even thought that they would ever be able to have a career in design suddenly is now learning Webflow in their high school, builds a website, and all of a sudden is like, I'm going to start a business. I'm 12. Can I start a business? I don't know if 12-year-olds are in high school, but (laughs) Middle middle school, high school, whatever. 
And all of a sudden that person's life has changed. And that's a product that's doing that. So I think in products, like we have the ability to build products that are leveling that playing field and therefore making like filling the pipeline once folks get into organizations and startups and once they start their own companies and they're getting access to capital and we're like in the VC world. And I think that the product space is like ripe for innovation when it comes to DEI. I also think that it's the easiest place to make the business case because I'm literally saying I'm going to make it easier for people to use your product. Like I am opening, I'm taking your customer base from this, you know, 10% of the population who now has access to it for whatever reason or who now sees themselves as a user of your product or who now can even like, you know, get into a community of other folks using your product. And I'm going to make that 50%. And that's automatically boosting your revenue. And so it kind of felt like a duh from, you know, Adobe standpoint and Webflow standpoint as well. And the main reason for the move to Adobe was just that the product opportunity there was going to be a lot more widespread just purely because of the size of the org. And we're starting an entire, entirely new product equity team. And if you were to ask us, it's my second week there. So literally still doing security onboarding before they kick me off of all their systems. And our main thing is we don't know. We don't know what it looks like because no company has gotten it right. But we're hoping to figure out a way to make it the norm that products at Adobe are built in a way that's advancing equity and not kind of perpetuating inequity and then also kind of up-level the industry in the process. I'm really excited for you. I know you're only in week two, but I'm I'm so excited. And just like a little plug, we're going to keep picking Mariah's brain. I'm going to keep bothering her and publishing and posting some of these insights too so we can all continue being inspired. Because I think even hearing your Webflow example of having a middle schooler or high schooler starting a design thing, I mean, I think a lot of the operators in this room and founders in this room are like, oh, I could do that now. So I think these conversations and pulling out these insights are so important and it inspires everyone else because, you know, the work you're doing. I do have one final question, although I could keep picking your brain forever. Obviously, there's a wide variety of 20-somethings in this room. Some 136-year-old, hey, what's up? He was very honest about his age at the door. Very honest at the door. We obviously are all here because we want to get to know each other in tech, but also like hopefully you guys were interested in the topic of DEI and that was part of the reason why you came. We all want to create impact in our own ways. And so I know we've kind of done a little talk to operators, a little talk to founders, a little shout out to investors, but like, is there one piece of advice that you would give kind of across the board? It doesn't even have to be professional related. Like it could even be personal. I mean, I think for a lot of us, this is kind of an identity thing. Like what is your advice for the people who care about impact, who fully believe that like DEI is important. Is there one thing that you would say like across the board, especially for 20 somethings that you would give? Yeah. A lot of folks feel, especially like, you know, 20 something, they're like, ooh, the big bosses. Like if I go to them, I have to have answers. And really like, the big bosses don't have answers. And I mean, if you're a founder in here, like, you know, we're all making shit up as we go. But I think that what has even gotten me into this career in the first place was just asking questions just by saying, just simply looking around a room and being like, hmm, do we have any plans to like diversify our team? Or are we just going to like continue on the white dude trend? Just like personally curious about that. And Some people are just completely unaware because they've lived with for their entire lives. And so simply asking questions by being like, hey, I'm noticing that our team, everyone on our team came from the same school or the same company. I'm wondering if it could like benefit us to maybe look outside of that network so we can get some different perspectives, some different ideas and like offer an hour of your time to source talent from other networks. So I think asking questions like who is here and who is not here, like who is not represented in whatever zone I'm in. And then I think, you know, how are we making decisions as a business? How are we making decisions about who we hire? How are we making decisions about who gets access to our product? 
how are we making decisions about how people even use our product from an accessibility standpoint? Like, can someone using a screen reader access this product? And just asking those questions, suddenly you're realizing like you're building equity into your process simply by asking those questions and then making it something that is now ex- that formerly was implicit of like there's implicit bias and us just saying it's the norm to build it this way or it's the norm to hire this way. And now you have to make it explicit. Like now they have to explicitly say, no, we're going to continue hiring only from Dartmouth. And then you can figure out what you want to do. Personally, I would probably get the fuck out of there, but your deal. And I think just like asking questions is a great way to just like make the invisible systems that perpetuate bias and perpetuate occlusion visible. You don't have to have the answers, just asking those questions. And then I will also say like, before you are like, oh, I'm a content strategist. Like I don't, there, I don't know how I can contribute to DEI. I'll just donate or like attend a, you know, a webinar or something is realizing that there is always an opportunity in every single role to adopt an inclusive and equitable lens to what you're doing. And I've worked with really, really talented product designers who specialize in inclusion and who specialize in accessibility. And they're like the most hireable people I know because they have that added benefit. They have that added bonus on their resume and companies want that. So I also think like that's a skill set that you can build into your existing skill set. You don't have to go into DEI like our lane is flooded with people right now. So if we can get more people in other lanes helping us do the work, that would really benefit us personally. And yeah, I think that it's just, you know, asking questions, having humility. I don't have the answers. I'm still figuring it out. Everyone is still figuring it out. And that's like the main thing I've learned in my 20s is like no one knows what they're doing ever. We're all just making it up as we go and doing our best and hoping we're not in a grand simulation. But yeah, I think that like just having humility about it, having curiosity about it, making it something that you're like, you can continue doing, not forcing yourself into like doing something like volunteering for 10 hours a week because no one really realistically has time for that. But maybe just thinking about like, how can I, what can I do for one hour a week that would maybe make me more aware or of people with disabilities and how our products are built for them or not built for them. You know, how can I spend an hour of my week volunteering at a like inner city school, talking to people, talking to kids who don't know who, what a product designer is about what I do and just like having a relationship with them. There are so many ways and little things. And I think it's just, a matter of like not going out to the internet and being like, how do I make inclusive decisions as a 20-something product designer? But it's like just thinking about it. Like what can I contribute? And being realistic and being humble. We love to talk here, but I think like action speaks louder than words. And so I would just say like to kind of wrap it up, I challenge everyone to just sometime this week, maybe set aside like 30 minutes and just like reflect on this conversation and think about like how in your own world you can do something small. And I think only change happens with small steps. And so I'd love to just kind of encourage everyone, like we can talk all day, we can read all the articles, we can watch all the videos, but nothing actually changes if it just stays in our heads. And so I really hope that this conversation was fruitful for you guys. And and maybe, you know, within the next week, schedule it in your calendar. I'm a calendar person. I live by my calendar. So, you know, schedule in a 30 minute, just sort of like a walk and reflection and just think about it and what you can do in your own lane. So Thank you so much for being here. I, we'll open it up now. If there's if there's any questions, we'll take like maybe one or two while we have Mariah here. I don't know if anyone has any. So as an educator, I experienced, you mentioned the 5% or less in the workplace. I frequently get a very not diverse classroom. It's 90% usually, best 70% male. And what sort of suggestions would you give to someone in that position to try to change that? I think that 
first and foremost, it's again, you know, maybe focusing not first on how do I increase the, let's say, 10% population who's underrepresented, 20%, but instead saying, how can I take that 10% and make sure that they stick in programming and they don't, you know, and I make sure that they don't drop out because they don't see themselves and they have imposter syndrome and they, you know, like any if they fail, they're looking around the room and they're like, it's because I'm not supposed to be here. And it would be more comfortable for me to go into communications or whatever it is. And so I think that first is really figuring out how do I make sure that that 10% that is here stays here. And that could be through connecting them with mentors that you maybe know in the space who belong to that same identity group. It also could just be, honestly, I feel like people are sometimes afraid to talk to people about inclusion and diversity if they're from an underrepresented group. And I would definitely not say like, go to a black person at your company and be like, does our Black Lives Matter tweet look good? You think you can, can you review that? People still do that surprisingly, but really like, you know, letting folks know, like letting them know, Hey, I know it's like, you're in a room where you don't see other, a lot of other people who belong to your group. And I personally am glad you're here. And I really think that like, you could be someone who makes it possible for, let's say they're women, other women to go into programming. And like, there's no reason why you can't succeed and you belong to be here just as much as the guys do in this room. And I want you to let me know if there's anything I can do to like provide extra support. And that's kind of where that equity piece comes in, which is really like leveling the playing field, acknowledging that like they are already on an uphill battle because anytime that they fail, there's a whole room of people who they're looking at and they're like, proof, I don't belong here. I am a failure. And so I think really focusing on that 10% and figuring out like, how do I keep them here? I think that what you'll find too is like that automatically kind of increases the number of folks who then enter from that group. So even saying like, do you have any friends who maybe are interested in exploring programming but are intimidated? And we could talk to them about it. So I think, you know, understanding like what would prevent someone from wanting to be here. And I think a lot of that comes down to representation most most likely. And also just making sure that the folks who are there, like you understand and acknowledge it's harder for them to be there, but that doesn't mean that they don't belong there and that like you are committed to making sure that they stick around. Wow, that was great. Any other, any other questions? Hi, Adrian. Thank you for the talk. I was wondering, is there a certain point of product market fit or a company size when you can focus on DEI without distracting from the mission of finding that product market fit and going from a you know, pre-seed startup to something that has a economical business model? Like I said before, I don't think that there's ever a like right time to necessarily start focusing or investing in, in DEI when it comes to, you know, product development and product strategy. I will say that I don't think that, I think there's a difference between being strategic and being selective about who you're building your product for. Like, I don't think it's an, it's a matter of taking your, you know, target audience and being like, oh, we have to be inclusive. So like anyone, anyone can use our product. Let's build for everyone. Like then you end up building for no one in the process. I think that finding your, you know, target audience and then asking yourself within that target audience, are there different needs? Are there barriers to entry? Are there specific groups who are underrepresented in this target audience that we can somehow 
make our product more attractive too, so that they become our users and they evangelize our product. And so even thinking about like, it's very rare that, you know, you'll see like an e-commerce platform, for instance, that's targeting Black creators and Black businesses, but there's been a ton of really successful e-commerce platforms that have said, if you're a Black-owned business, we're giving you a discount. Like, we want you to come to our product. We understand there's like an economic barrier to using this product. And we believe that you should be able to build your site on our website or like our website builder or whatever our platform is. And so I think that there's, it's really important to distinguish between like inclusion from a audience perspective and then inclusion equity from a barriers to access perspective of like within that existing audience that we're building for, how can we make sure that no one is excluded because of who they are, where they come from, and that we're kind of reaching and maybe even expanding who sees themselves in that audience in our marketing. Okay, last question. You want to come up? Yeah, before I ask my question, I just want to say thank you to both of you for hosting this conversation. It's been really great. Now my question to you, you know, going into this new role at Adobe, product equity, in any given product development process, product is talking from everyone to engineering to sales and marketing, right? Each one of these different functions, if you will, will probably have a different conception of what equity is. How do you communicate to the, that to them individually, function by function? And then how do you translate that into a cohesive whole that anyone can understand at every level of the business? I'm not going to, you know, like sugarcoat it. It's really hard to drive change because we're, I'm entering a large organization that has established processes and my, my team and I are coming in and we are, A, have no idea how anything works again, week two, just figuring out how to use Outlook. But we are lucky in that I work within the Adobe Design Org, which actually is kind of houses effectively all of the designers, some developers who will be working on and building the products that are going out to the Creative Cloud teams, to Enterprise. And so it's kind of nice because we have, you know, we're kind of a common access point that like no product gets built without someone in our org being involved. And so the approach that we're taking is there's one approach you could take, which is like, how do we educate every single person on who would potentially touch the product development process? And how do we encourage them to care about this and think about this and bake it into what they're doing? That would take like, 1 million years. And so, and I personally am not in the business of changing people's minds because coming from a behavioral psychology background, I know that, again, takes a long fucking time to change your mind. And I'm a Taurus, so I know that. But I, instead, we have been asking ourselves the question of like, how can we make a system or a process for product development that regardless of who is touching the product at any given stage, that they know what is expected of them from a, like how, you know, what's expected of them from how they're building this product, how they're contributing here, whether or not they even know that it's for equity. Like maybe it's just for cute, like it's basically quality assurance at this point too, because it's like, we want to make sure that our products are working for people and for all people. And so part of what we're doing is actually kind of disguising our work as just like, part of the product development process and making sure there are new requirements and new audits that happen to make sure that we don't put a product out in the world and later find out that it's not serving 30% of the people who we thought it might be serving or it's not reaching them. And so I think that is 
a large part of the approach that I take, which is kind of a systemic inclusion and equity approach, which is like, how can we change the system and redesign the system to create equitable outcomes? Because the only reason we're seeing a lack of inclusion and diversity is because that's what the system is designed to do. This hiring process is designed to reward a certain person, to make it easier to hire a certain person, to expedite that hiring process and get them in and replicate the Johns of the team. And we're going to get 16 Johns because that's the best thing that the system knows how to do. And so it's really about redesigning that system to enable different outcomes that you want to see. So in terms of like what that looks like in reality, TBD, again, week two, talk to me in like week 446. But I really do think that it's a, we're taking the approach of like, let's take what each team is work, is doing in terms of the product development process and making sure that if it is possible for them to build this, you know, do their part in a way that is not advancing equity in the product, that we figure out a way where that's no longer possible. So someone could come in and be like, I don't give a shit about equity. And we could be like, great, we don't give a shit. Like, this is your checklist. Like, you have to do these things to do your thing. So do the things. And that also takes like the personal emotional side out of it where you don't have to like tell someone they're a bad person because you can just be like, no, you're just bad at your job. Makes it a lot easier. Yeah, so I know that really didn't, totally answer the question. But I think that it is the approach of saying like, let's not, you know, we will clearly define the why of like what equity is as an organization in terms of like how we're even defining it. I also think it's hard to define what an equitable product looks like because one does not exist yet. So I think that part of it is like, how do we design a more equitable product right now? And equity just looks like increasing access and making it more accessible. And we can measure that in terms of our all the data that we have available. So grateful she's here. And I've learned so much from you as a friend. And I'm just so grateful that we can share that with everyone. And um, like I said, I'm going to continue bothering her and pulling out insights to hopefully share with the world. Keep bothering you to keep sharing this stuff because we're all learning and all getting better. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20 Something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20 Something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts.